the incomparable. Number 578, August 2021. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. We are continuing our summer of Spielberg. We've moved on to 2002 for Minority Report, starring movie star, big-time movie star Tom Cruise and a bunch of other recognizable faces, too. Uh, Joining me to talk about this tale of pre-crime are the following wonderful people who are not yet criminals, but probably will be by the end of this. James Thompson. Uh, you may already be a criminal. Hello. <laughs> uh, Jason Snell, you could use a Guinness right now. <laughs> <laughs> Annette Weirster is here. Hello. Hello. I'm about to think of a crime that I might commit. Okay. We'll see what happens. Monty mm-hmm. Ashley is here. Hello. And I pr- reach out and I put my hand in this position and turn my hand 40 degrees and say, hello, Jason. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Erica Ensign also is here. Hello. Yeah, I don't want to commit a crime. I just want to take a really nice, warm, soothing bath and just hang out in it for a mm. long time. In the in the uh, the milk. The milk. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> call it that though. Uh, the script calls it milk, but it's clear water, and I kind of wished it was milky. I think isn't that what yeah. it, there, so Battlestar Galactica uh, did a a riff on this same idea of people who can see things who are in a pool of stuff, and I think their fluid was milky. Uh, in a way that the the water here is clear, or whatever it is, the milk is clear. Yeah, it was disappointingly clear. Yeah, yeah, it should be mm-hmm. good. Should be grosser. I feel like. I don't. I don't know that milk is necessarily that gross. Like I'm when just three people like are that, laying in it and it's the is, size okay. of a swimming pool. Yes, it's okay, gross. Fair. fair. <laughs> in Buckaroo Bonsai, there's some really weird milky stuff in the alien spaceships, and it's never explained, and it's really cool. Yeah. Milk oh, is cooler yeah. than water. So this is a movie about milk. That's uh, and people who swim in it. That's uh, what I'm getting from this. It's the milk report. <laughs> uh, Minority Report is uh, famous now, I think, mostly for the fact that Tom Cruise has these works on a gestural computer interface. Into they, This movie tries to make some interesting extrapolations of 50 years of technological development. It's set uh, in 2054. Um, it is so f- roughly 50 years in the future from when the movie was released. Uh, and they tried to do some extrapolation that from the perspective of t- roughly 20 years in the future, some of it is actually pretty good. And some of it is hilariously not good. Um, and we'll get to that. But the idea that, um, that you control your computer interface with something that's sort of like virtual reality but it's kind of holographic and so you just gesture in the air and that you don't actually need a computer although you have a computer at home that looks like a computer from out of the 80s with lots of mini discs and stuff but at work (laughs) Tom Tom Cruise is conducting an orchestra and I feel like that is the thing people remember the most from Minority Mm -hmm. Report is is this vision of what a computer interface might look like in the future that's not like anything I think people had seen before. Tom Cruise is the only one who conducts the orchestra. Everyone else has their own style, which I think is really interesting. Because Tom mm-hmm. Cruise is the only one. Like you say, people say, oh, like Tom Cruise in Minority Report. No one says like Colin Farrell in Minority Report. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I do think that like any user interface that's projected on a clear screen or uh, you know floating in space is going to be terrible. Like mm-hmm. we, We've kind of got used to the fact that uh, translucency, like in the Mac UI, tends to be annoying because you just have all this stuff bleeding through and whatever. Yeah. And it, it, 
they would have permanent headaches, I think, watching this film. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, that's, that is also, that is exactly the one thing that I really remembered from this movie. I pretty much didn't remember anything else. And I think I saw it in the theater. Um, but I was, I was, I think I was more impressed with it even this time, just watching because, I mean, you've got Tom Cruise and if, say what you will about him, he commits mm-hmm. when he is playing a character. And he really, like, I just, I believe every motion that he makes in a way that maybe maybe the Colin Farrell performance with it didn't sell it as much but you know close enough I I thought it was really impressive and then also at the same time then you have them having to transfer disks from one computer to the other to get information from one to the other and I was like oh this part's so cool and yet we've already moved beyond that that other Mm -hmm. bit discs that have like that are also screens with hologram things that Mm -hmm. you can look onto them given that the the whole UI of the prediction machine involves like little carved balls that roll down marble runs the carved (laughs) balls are terrible it's so (laughs) so dumb (laughs) And I'm furious that they actually call it a red ball case, and it's a literal red Red ball. Red ball, yeah. Come on. I love it. It makes me so happy. I love it. Because red ball is a thing that is used in in law enforcement. If you've you've watched Homicide, Life on the Street, uh, a murder, a high-profile murder is a red ball. And here it's just turned into literally a red ball. I I did not know that bit of context. Now it's much sillier. It is. It is a little bit silly. And they, they wave their hands at, I mean, okay. The carving machine that that <laughs> carves out a ball from a piece of wood so that it's it's uh-huh. indis- it's one of a kind, right? It's like a snowflake. Uh, it's a piece of art. That's a beautiful and, yeah. scene of them doing that. That looks very weird and high tech mixed with low tech, which is wood. It's also ridiculous. So yes, there's a date a deadline that we have to stop a murder on. Do we really need the, it to carve the name <laughs> on a wall? ball and then roll it down these tubes just say the name we're trying to save a life here i mean it's like whoever made it you know just like the dramatic effect of Mm -hmm. that it's like oh we've got a red ball whose name on it oh it's your name or whatever but but clearly it was pre it was pre uh 3d printing because now they would 3d print that thing Mm. i I like when the ball shows up and tom cruise has to hide it but there's other ways to do that. Yeah, the, this mm-hmm. movie. So I, this movie is a mixture. Like I said earlier, it is a mixture of extrapolations that I think are quite interesting and brilliant, and other ones that, especially twenty years on, are sort of like, no, no. Some of them in an innocent way, and some of them in very, very weird ways. Um, and the ball is a, the ball is weird. Uh, I get, I get why it's dramatic, but in a movie where they convened a bunch of futurists and tried to plot out what the future, you know, 50 years in the future was going to be like so that they could not just sort of riff on Blade Runner, but actually try to seriously project out. There are moments and uh, one of them is the the carving of the ball. Uh, I could mention that there are cars that drive on a building and also there are p- cops wearing jetpacks. where I thought, <laughs> was this did this come out of the brain trust because it doesn't feel like this came out of the brain trust this feels like this mm-hmm. is somebody who said jetpacks are cool and it's like no 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 they are but cool. they are wait you don't like the jetpack scene i think the jetpack scene is ridiculous but we'll get there okay it was the action scene that i disliked in the movie was the jetpack scene i love this movie i think this is a brilliant movie i'm just gonna say that straight up but i should probably uh recap it a little bit as we go so we can talk about what happens in it instead of focusing on um 
the wood balls. Uh, <laughs> sure, Jason, just milk. whip through this complicated cyber noir plot. It's real simple. It'll be easy. Well, one of the things that's interesting about this movie is that it is a bunch of things laid on top of each other. And that I think if you get focused on it as an interesting way of trying to project the future from the year 2002, or if you view it as this sort of sociopolitical question about uh, criminals and, and overreach of, 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 uh, of law enforcement, or if you view it as philosophical and about free will, what you miss is that it is a super clever sci-fi noir crime story with with a premise at its heart that our main character is told that he is going to be a murderer in the future which he believes is obviously not true and therefore has to flee the fundamental injustice of being convicted before you commit a crime and try to figure out why he isn't the person who's going to kill somebody in two days and the twist at the end is that he is the person who's going to kill somebody in two days. <laughs> it's way more of a, a sort of murder mystery than I remembered mm-hmm. it being. It you is, know, it's yeah. Like Agatha, obviously named for Agatha Christie and all the others named after, you know, crime writers. And, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Dashiell Hammett. Yeah. And Arthur, Arthur Conan, Conan Doyle. Doyle. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So once you see that and it's kind of like it's trying to do one of these sort of, you know, lock door mystery murder yeah puzzle box things and i think that's the best thing about the film mm-hmm. i agree we we get so focused on the future interfaces and the tech and all of those things which are fun and some of them are dumb and some of them are good but they're fun and the action sequences are generally good uh, even if you mm-hmm. might disagree about the jetpack sequence but like at its heart yeah this is a real twisty murder mystery with the twist the clever twist being that our main character is told that he will commit a murder and so he has to disprove that essentially um, that's, it's really clever. <laughs> it's, it's, and, and you see the world as you go. And, but I mean, the, the rest of it, I think there is a certain amount that is just sort of standard Tom Cruise action film. You, you know, uh, running. Which, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he, I don't think he gets on a motorbike at any point, which is his normal signature move. But yeah, the rest of it, I realized rewatching this that I'd mixed up a ton of this film in my head with 2004's iRobot, not Tom Cruise, but Interesting. a similar time of thing. And I kept waiting for the scene where there was the robot construction equipment ripping the end off the house. And it got to the end and I was like, oh, hey, that was a different That's film. Different, not, the, not the same movie. <laughs> but, but it's two kind of barely related to the book they're adapting mm-hmm. kind of sci-fi films. Right, this is based on a uh, at least a short story by Philip K. Dick because in the uh, late '90s and early 2000s, everybody realized what uh, what they had already realized in the early '80s. They re-realized yeah. that you could just strip mine Philip K. Dick story concepts and turn them into movies, and so they Heck made yeah. a, they made a bunch more. Um, okay, so the way this movie starts is with a block that is showing you what the pre-crime division in Washington, D.C. does. And it's not directly related to the plot of the movie, but we it needs the movie needs to show us how it's supposed to work. So there are a bunch of, uh, of confusing visions of a murder that are kind of psychedelic and out of sequence, uh, seen, by a, <laughs> seen by, it seems, a lady in a bathtub, which turns out <laughs> these are the precogs. They're in a pool. They're seeing the future. Um, they get a warrant. There's a process they go through where people come up on a, a view screen and Tom Cruise is going to like get the get the warrant to go find them and all of that. Uh, wood, a shaved wood ball appears with the name of the victim on it. <laughs> and polished. Don't forget the polish. Yeah. I think it's hilarious that the visions are really vague 
but also they have the exact name of the perpetrator and the victim and the exact time it's going to happen. Okay, yeah. And mm-hmm. I was gonna I was gonna say one of the things that I find fascinating, because the idea here is that these are visions of these people and and they their their brains are wired into these devices on their outsides of their head that project out sort of what they're seeing and they record that. And what I, I also found hilarious is that the the visions are so clear that you can literally zoom and enhance mm-hmm. on a vision to read like small type on a piece of paper or see reflections in the corner of the room. Like they're super ultra high resolution clarity images of the visions, um, which is a leap that, look, there are psychic people who see the future and they record their thoughts and it's just mm-hmm. a leap that this movie requires you to take. I, I feel like this is the one time where it's appropriate to do to be able to do the zoom and enhance because they mm-hmm. are seeing the future and there's nothing to indicate that they're seeing it with their eyes. It's just mm. a, a vision. So why wouldn't you be able to zoom and enhance within the visions that they get? So this is this is the one movie where I give that a pass. But but it is also it was a cool bit in Blade Runner. And so it, they put it in here. As yeah. Well. Yeah, it was. <laughs> what we see ultimately, we realize what we've been seeing in these sort of psychedelic visions is because we also then see it playing out. And the idea is that they're initially like 20 minutes out of the murder happening and they need to rush to the scene to stop the murder and arrest the person before they kill the victim. And it turns out it's a husband who is, who notices that there's a guy loitering outside and um, he we we kind of put it together that she is cheating on him with a guy who is waiting outside for him to leave to go to work and the husband is suspicious and says maybe I'll stay home and she says no no I have a thing you you know I'm not going to I can't have lunch with you and then he waits outside the house and sees the guy come across the street and enter the house and and we've already seen the flashes that in the end he's going to take some scissors and he's going to stab his wife and she, he's going to kill her um, but they they're trying to figure it out, and we we learn the limitations of pre crime that they all they have as their clues are visions. They don't have um, a lot of things that I'm surprised they don't have. They don't seem to have facial recognition uh, to scan, like because they have these images of people, yeah. uh, but they don't mm-hmm. scan them against. And this is one of the places that I think this movie, which gets so many interesting things right, gets so many things wrong. It's almost sweet. It's almost not. It's it's actually naive about how they have this vision of the future where there's all of this amazing technology, but there is so little surveillance like unless it's your retina scan we don't know who you are they have this whole system for advertising based tracking of people and they know exactly who everybody is but they don't know what their faces look like it just it's all corporate it's less big brother i think that's fine that they went with retinal scanning instead of facial recognition that's a reasonable guess to make in 2002 and once you accept that there's a there are scenes where it's essentially facial recognition tracking mm-hmm. him as he runs. So I think that's I don't know. I think the retinal scanning instead of facial recognition is fine and it allows for interesting plot twists that just we recognize your face automatically wouldn't allow for. I guess I'm just saying from the perspective of 20 years later, this movie seems naive in the sense that it it is so limited in what is collected on people. And so while it gets right the idea that there will be personalized ads and there will be some level of an invasion of privacy, I think it's interesting that watching it from 2021, my immediate thought is, oh, come on, they should know who they are because they've got all this other data about them that's in their database. And that in 20 years time, that's how my mind 
mind has gone in terms of watching what happens here. It's not the film's fault. It is the fault of society in 2021. I think the thing in this scene that gets me the most is that Tom Cruise is a bad pre-cop because he watches all the visions and I'm and they're standing outside all the houses trying to work out which one it is. And I'm shouting at the television, it's the one with the, the sprinkler. sprinkler. You saw that. Yeah. <laughs> also, why is he still back in the office? They should have one guy looking at the footage and somebody else going there. The guy back in the office seems surprised that Tom wants to check something. Well, this is the Star Trek problem, right? Which is you can't have... Normally, if you, yeah. had a, if you had a Starship Enterprise, you'd send your away team specialist down to the planet, but all your main characters would stay behind and not die and not have an adventure, and you can't do that, so you send them down. This is like, <laughs> yeah. it's like Tom Cruise yeah. has got to go. But you're right, there is that moment where his pal back there is like, oh, oh I got to run the computer? Okay. And it's like, well, she, the moment he stepped away, you should have stepped in and continued scanning the precog data, and you didn't do that, guy. Like, you're falling down the door. But I love as a premise for a movie again because this is a movie it is i enjoy seeing how they have a vision of the future and what it is but as a premise the idea that we can see it but we don't know where it is all we have is visuals so we have to use our deduction skills our detective skills and they've got a lot of things about like you know what this is a kind of architecture and can you search and see what neighborhoods have architecture and is that a park over there what Mm -hmm. places have parks and they're you're watching them solve an interesting problem that is obviously their job is from bare imagery how do you figure out under time pressure the location of the crime and and then and then get there using your flying you know your little your magic flying machines to to stop it it's a really interesting great way to set up the premise of the movie to in this little block here and it's a great way to set up how good Tom Cruise is at, at his, his job, job. because, yeah, because yeah, you get him, you know, doing all of his awesome stuff with his hands and the, the the directing of the orchestra. But you also have him really thinking the problem, like that one shot of the kid in the background behind the guy that's standing outside who the wife is cheating with. And you see the kid like, you know, he, that he figures out, oh. It's a merry-go-round, which is a leap that I never would have made. Right. He's just really good at his job, which then does, you know, kind of make it a little bit sillier that he's the one that runs off to actually take care of it. But at the same time, I kind of give it a pass because he is clearly the one that's good enough at recognizing visual cues, uh, sprinkler notwithstanding, because yes, correct. Um, but he is the one that recognizes there's a door open. And that's like, I, I wish they would have started moving toward that house immediately, because that's just a weird thing in suburbia. It's anyway. the outlier already. Yep. Mm-hmm. You should start walking to it and, and also be asking. And yes, because theoretically, Tom Cruise is the best at pattern matching. And so he should stay behind and set his ground forces to go while he continues to pattern match. But that doesn't happen because he's Tom Cruise. Also, they had eight people and they could have sent one to each door. Rather <laughs> well, than, some of them like, had to be in the helicopter ready to drop through the skylight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Let's destroy the house while we're at it. It's an incredibly tense uh, scene that leads to the moment where he, that, you know, he leaps in and they, they stop the husband from um, stabbing the wife to death and they arrest him and it's like, uh, take him away, boys. They put the halo on him and he's going to be filed away in a tube because he didn't, though he didn't commit a murder, and the guy says, "I didn't do anything." That, and that's one of the great kind of moral questions of this movie: is we've reduced murder to zero by stopping people before they commit the crime, but it does mean they ha- have committed no crime, and so is intent enough? And the, the movie 
sort of deals with that. I mean, I, I, it is not the point of this movie to wrestle with ethical conundrums. It's, uh, it's part of the the package of a a fun ride in an action movie. But that is the 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 question that we're we're prompted with here because the guy is not put on trial really. He's just literally locked down and put in a tube for eternity. What I like about this opening one is that they they choose um like a situation that is really clear cut. So it kind of helps you as the viewer to like buy into the concept and be like, "Oh yeah, he was totally going to murder her. He had the <laughs> scissor in his hand. You could see the whole thing playing out and it was just like that's that's clear." So like as a storytelling and then you kind of add more nuance and then you add like the whole all of the issues with it as you go along, but when it opens, it sort of makes a strong case for pre-crime. Yeah. I saw him kill her, right? We saw him kill her. Yeah, exactly. He's a killer. As the movie goes on, whenever there's a slow moment, you start to think, well, what about self-defense or manslaughter? (laughs) What are you guys talking about? Don't think too hard. I mean, it did say there was something like murder was the only thing that the precogs could pick up on because of like the emotional content. Leaves a psychic impression or something like that. It's a very, I mean, again, the precogs is like... It's it's the magical uh, thing at the heart of this. Uh, they they can't this detect tax fraud and things yeah, like except that. that you have that commercial where you've got that one woman saying he was going to rape me. Right. And then later in the film, we find out that they can't actually detect that. They can only detect murder. So well, I was like, what is that yeah. commercial about? Mm-hmm. It's a bad commercial is what it is. Yeah. I yes. think that commercial is propaganda. Yeah. I, I'm <laughs> going to point out one of the things in that commercial that made me laugh is they've got the the, the little ro- numbers rolling up about how many people that they've saved and the rollers don't actually like go together. So like it goes from like <laughs> 54 to 65 to 76 million. It, it mm-hmm. like It's all fake and i actually appreciated that because i felt like like this is just a somewhat <laughs> ham-fisted <laughs> propaganda campaign to get this thing uh although i have questions about the idea the idea here is that pre-crime is going to go national they've got a whole like election and they're going to try to make this thing happen everywhere in the u.s um i have some questions about that because as far as i can tell there was a what the movie seems to want us to believe is that there was a drug that was like like thalidomide basically that was given to pregnant women and it caused a bunch of uh, horrible uh, birth defects and miscarriages but it also produced three people out of the whole population who could see the future and they're the precogs of which one really does all really does all the work (laughs) yeah Uh uh-huh and yet they're like well we're gonna go national with this it's like okay where are you getting your precogs from? Are you now going to just poison to some children and see what happens? Or what what's going on here? <laughs> Again, the precogs are not the most logical part of the movie. You just got to no. wave your hands at them and be like, they're cool, but they don't make sense. It's fine. I, I like those gaps. So that's kind of one of my favorite things about this movie is that it has built this future for you. And there's obviously a lot of stuff going on around the edges that they didn't necessarily take the time to fill in because it's already a long movie. You don't necessarily yeah. need to add all that stuff, but it does give you sort of room to play and think about it. So I do wonder, like, is there another movie going on in the background where there's some other, you know, nasty people working on creating more precogs? Because that could be a really interesting movie. I can't believe that Max von Sydow would do anything <laughs> shady. <laughs> right? I don't think there is. I think they're just going to to tell Agatha start seeing murders from all over from the all country, country all the time mm-hmm. and it's going to fall apart in a month anyway Possibly. yeah well Maybe. that's the thing it's like how are they not seeing things nationally if they can see things nationally so are they how are they controlling that you can't think too hard about it I think basically at the end 
uh, it made me think that they needed some sort of ability to be near-ish uh, where it was happening. And when mm-hmm. you got farther away from people, you weren't going to be able to to predict that. Yeah, the, it is the, the waves, you know, through space time. So I, I don't know what the intent was. And I think that they purposely left that fuzzy because they didn't want to necessarily think about it. But you just put them on the back of a truck and drive them around. Drive them around. <laughs> <laughs> Well, also, it's only going to work as long as they're alive. So you have the lifespan of this and then mm-hmm. it's over unless you do have someone trying to recreate them. But the the other gap that I was really interested in was, uh, which we already mentioned, the the halo, which gets put on somebody as soon as they have been arrested for pre-crime. Mm-hmm. And we don't really get much information about like pe- people are really scared to have one of those things thrown on their head but we never really find out what you are experiencing right within it and that's another thing that i'm just like that tantalizes me as a viewer to sort of just think about in the uh in the margins of this film like, there's oh, just a guy playing the organ for the <laughs> people in the tubes with the halo on tim blake nelson <laughs> in his own movie and i love it yep <laughs> That that's what you do. You use the people that you've put the halo on, and you experiment on them to make oh, the new precogs. Oh, interesting! Ooh. Minority Report two. <laughs> See? Do you know that? By the way, Minority Report was originally going to be Total Recall two. Yes. Yeah. Originally, oh. they're like another Philip K. Dick. Let's do it, but it, that didn't work out. All right, let me take a quick break from the summer of Spielberg to tell you about the sponsor of the summer of Spielberg. It's Privacy dot com. Now, you know all of us when we get to that screen and they say, put in your credit card. And especially for me, the box that you check that says store my credit card. All I can think is, well, you know, are you secure? Are you going to store my credit card? Are you going to get a data breach and lose my credit card? Am I going to have to cut up this card again, get another one, change all the items on all of my bills. Uh, So frustrating to deal with that sort of thing out there on the internet. Privacy is a tool, it's not just a concept, it's a tool that makes it easy for you to manage your financial life online while keeping your most important information secure. It generates virtual credit card numbers, so it masks your bank's information. You never have to worry about giving it out to people you don't know online or clicking that save box. So easy to sign up. Um, It will ask you to link it to a debit card or to your bank account. And uh, once that link is in place, then all you can do is uh, generate a private credit card and use that, knowing that you can control it. You can have one for whatever you want to use it for. You decide who can charge your card. You decide how much. You decide how often. And you shut down these virtual credit cards anytime you want. Plus, you can make sure you're never accidentally billed twice or upgraded to another service without your consent. You have complete control of what each of your credit cards can do, and it's all at privacy. So the people that you give those cards to don't know anything else about you beyond that. Privacy is partnered with 1Password. You can create, use, and save privacy cards directly within your 1Password dashboard as well. All virtual cards created in 1Password have the same security benefits as your other privacy cards, and you can set spend limits, create single-use or merchant lock cards whenever you want. Go to privacy.com slash incomparable and sign up for an account. New customers will automatically get $5 to spend on your first purchase with your new virtual card. Go to privacy.com slash incomparable. Sign up now. Thank you to Privacy for supporting the incomparable. 
I, I just wanted to throw out a line that I really love that build, helps build the tension in this opening block, which is, we're catching up to the future. I just love mm. that. I think it's so evocative. Like they, Because you get this ticking. Yep. They know this event's going to happen in the future, but it's becoming the present. And, and that's how they describe getting to that moment where they have to get there or, or they're going to they're gonna reach the future. I, I love it. I like that line paired with the, the later line. I felt like it was it was two of a piece where the precog is saying, you know, is it now? Is this happening now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved mm-hmm. is it now. That was heartbreaking. Yes. Yep. Yeah, they, the precogs are one of my favorite things in this movie, actually, and we'll, when we'll talk about them in a little bit. But they they are f- fascinating, and especially Agatha. Um, after the ad that is for basically the national pre-crime initiative where they're going to try to roll this thing out nationwide, we learn a little bit more about Tom Cruise's character. We know that he's a he's a great cop. It turns out that his life is a mess outside of this, which is fitting for a noir story. He buys some drugs from a man who has no eyes. He has a whole bunch of missing kid clippings and videos and holograms of his kid who obviously has been murdered. He repeats his words. He takes the drugs. He is a uh, he is a mess. Uh, on the personal level and at work he is now feeling feeling some pressure because an observer from the department of justice who is skeptical about this pre-crime business being rolled out to everyone has been brought in to uh to observe what he's doing and and you get the sense has an ulterior motive or is sort of like trying to to wreck it for tom cruise and his his pals and this is colin farrell who is uh who is being smarmy as the observer who turns who you think is the bad guy of the movie he's not <laughs> i really loved the introduction of him and just of basically the feds in general because for all that this movie is set in the future and does a, a pretty good job i think of predicting a future that makes sense this uh, interaction between the local cops and the feds is something that has been happening in police shows for decades. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like a really grounded relationship. You don't need to have thought about the future or technology at all to just immediately glom onto that relationship and that friction. And it just, it really centered me in that part of the plot. And I thought they did it really well. It also reminds me of, uh, almost like a business startup kind of story. Because what really is happening here is that Max von Sydow is essentially the CEO of pre-crime. And, <laughs> and Tom Cruise is his, is his right-hand man. And they are hoping to go big. They're going to win this election and they're going to go big. And Colin Farrell is the guy who's snooping around to see if they're really all that they say they are before they have their big payday, before they go public or whatever it is. And, you know, what we find is that it's kind of rotten, it turns out, right? And and so you're put in this position of being like, hey, Tom Cruise, and he solved that murder. Isn't this great? And then and Colin Farrell, boo, he just wants to gum the, up the works. And then, of course, the movie flips it around and, and you realize that the reason that he's investigating is at least potentially that something bad is going on here. Although I think he stumbles into it more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He's there to make sure that there's nothing fishy going yeah. on. And guess what? He finds some fish. There's fish <laughs> in the milk. <laughs> I think that as soon as Colin Farrell appears, he's here to check out the utter infallibility of this system. And as a viewer, you think, yeah, I'd like somebody to check out the utter infallibility of this system too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like this isn't a case where the local police are right. This is nonsense. You can't be doing this stuff. In fact, um, I think this is this is one of the most powerful arguments against the perfect system, right? 
because uh, I just I read a book about this that was very similar, where it's a totalitarian state where machine learning basically is watching everything, and it saves. You know, like in this movie, they're like, ah, oh, but there are no murders. It's like, okay, there are no murders. That doesn't necessarily mean you didn't also put away people who didn't or weren't going to commit murders. Mm-hmm. We don't know that, and it's like your system, if it is perfect, is great. But the fact that you're selling it as a perfect system makes me think that it's not a perfect system because guess what? No system is perfect, yep. especially if people mm-hmm. are involved. So it is a it it, it as as the story unravels and it unravels very quickly here, right? You're like, this is not perfect at all. Or as Erica said, there's fish in the milk. It is. They're in there. <laughs> and I mean, like to to tie it into current tech industry stuff, you know, there's Apple uh, thinking about systems with mysterious black boxes at the center that perhaps we don't exactly know how it works and yeah i i was thinking of that mm-hmm. as, I, as i was watching it um not saying that you know apple is secretly murdering people but i'm uh, not saying that though <laughs> but i'm not not saying <laughs> i think so the, so so colin farrell has a warrant to see the precogs and this is actually the really interesting part where he is becoming uh, th- because they made it clear, like, well, no, no, we don't go into the temple. We don't go into the temple at all, or the precogs are. And he's like, well, I'm going to go in there. What I think is funny is that when he goes in there, all of the people from the Everybody. team go in, too. Yes. They're like, well, we're not yeah. supposed to go in there. But if you go in there, we're all going to go in there. I would take my chance. There's a giant window that shows it from yeah. the lobby. Yeah, but they can't, get, they can't go in because they might, like, mess with the system or something. It's right. like, if you can mess with the system... Then the system doesn't sound particularly. Yeah, perfect. and the and the guy who's in there feeding them and massaging them and stuff, like he could mess with the system then too. Yeah, I guess. I, I that guy is a creep. <laughs> oh, yes, he is so gross. He is gross, but he is gross in a way that makes me think that he is that he really has been making the system as safe as possible because he I feel like he views them not quite as religiously as some of the other people in the movie view them as you know basically gods uh, or oracles but he he cares about them in such an intense and yes incredibly creepy way that he is doing everything to make them as comfortable and as useful as possible he is their caregiver so, for what it's yeah. worth mm-hmm. he he it is creepy but at the same time he's like the only person who cares for them i think Mm -hmm. (laughs) right so there's that i I love i love this whole segment of the movie because uh we get the idea that that um you you, it's better if you don't think of them as human Mm -hmm. um the 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 whole line about how this is you know you don't want to use religious imagery but you call this the temple uh and it's not the oracle who's in power it's the priests which is such a great moment of like you know it's not about them it's about you guys you guys are the ones who exert the power from them um and i i really like I really like all of that stuff. And then we get the plot gets driven forward in a very interesting way where Agatha wakes up and looks at Tom Cruise and grabs Grabs him him. and says, can Mm -hmm. you see? And she pictures a drowning and we don't really understand what that is. And somebody says, that's impossible, but it's, it just happened guy. It, it it happened. It's (laughs) that's impossible. impossible. She sees the future. Don't give me that impossible (laughs) nonsense. Exactly. So I, um, 
I, I thought that was uh, I just I think that seems really great because we meet the precogs and there are they're the twins and Agatha and uh, they see the future and there's like things that are projected up the, out of their brains get projected up onto the screen and they're sort of like the, the the three parts of the screen for what they're each seeing. This is important later because the title of the movie Minority Report reveals that they don't always see the future and agree, which is problematic if you're trying to sell it as a perfect system about what will absolutely happen in the future that sometimes one of the precogs says no that might not happen and they del- and and in a very telling bit of information that we learn they delete the minority report so as to seem perfect hmm. yes and like all of that uh, mixed in with the the really cool i agree line that you mentioned jason about how the priests have the power it's not really the oracle and that was another place where it was just like here's this little gap where my brain just kind of wanted to run off in another direction and be like okay this is this is the choice that they have made now that we understand that there are minority reports that are just getting erased because that makes them look bad like they could have gone in a completely different direction which would have made either a different movie or no movie at all um to have yes there's pre-crime and we can catch these people but then in Instead of just locking them up, we could actually sit them down and see, are they from here on in going to be a threat to society? Like, there's got to be some way to evaluate that in some sort of fashion. And, you know, you could have you could end up with a really cool and balanced and nice way of doing it, except for keeping three people as basically slaves. Um, and, And none of that happens and none of that's really touched on, but they leave the door open for it, which is I think that's one of my favorite things about the Philip K. Dick oeuvre of uh, of films is there are it's there's so many ideas so many mm. that they just like help you grow new ones as you're watching a movie i i wouldn't 100 percent recommend it but there's a tv show spin-off of minority report that came out i think like five well, years ago it. or something i watched all of it as well i it was enough it was interesting enough to watch it and they do touch on some of these things and oh, cool. it basically has the 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 three of them out of the tub and uh, in a sort of police procedural solving crime. I agree with what you're saying, though, Erica. I think this is the point where they lay enough of the moral dilemma out for you to sort of like piece it together, but don't bog down in too much of it mm-hmm. that you keep the action moving. And I like I for me, the, the line where it's like, it's best if you don't think of them too much as human, where I was like, yeah. oh. Yeah, yeah, I think that the Philip K. Dick side of this movie feels very Philip K. Dick, even though there's a lot of extrapolation from the original story. Like, a lot of times you're watching this movie, you think, oh, Philip K. Dick, huh? Yeah, I get it. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So... In rapid succession, we get some some important stuff that happens, which is uh, Tom Cruise goes to where they store all the data and also the people with the halos and all of that. And he can't find Agatha's uh, prevision for this drowning that she supposedly projected to him. And uh, and the it, it it's suspicious. But um, and he's warned, uh, you dig up the past, all you get is dirty. Max von Sydow gives Tom Cruise a pep talk and says they're not going to take it away from us to impress that there is this. They he feels like uh, the Justice Department is maybe going to ruin this whole rollout that they've got planned. And we see Colin Farrell, who is in Tom Cruise's apartment, snooping around, finding the drugs, finding the pictures of his dead son, and all of those things. So we think, oh joy, that the boy, that guy, you know, he's breaking into Cruise's apartment. He's he's no good. He's going to ruin it for us. Which is, of course, not not quite where the movie is going. And then we get our big key moment, which is there's a new red ball. There's a new 
a crime that has been predicted. And we discover that in two days, somebody named Leo Crow is going to be killed. Nobody knows who he is. But when when it resolves, uh, Tom Cruise discovers his own face. He is going to kill this Leo Crow guy who he doesn't even know who it is in 36 hours, more or less. And that is our, we're, and we're off because Tom Cruise has that moment where he he sort of hides it from people. And the guy down in the tub says, look, I'll, uh, you know, I'll give you two minutes before I sound the alarm because you've been nice to me. <laughs> and he goes, and what does Tom Cruise do, folks? He runs because he sets a clock. <laughs> That's what he does. He, he sets a clock and then he runs. If he hadn't, he would have been fine, by the way. I know this is not how the pl- the movie works, but <laughs> if he had just immediately said, I, I spent a lot of time t- thinking about this during the movie. The correct solution for Tom Cruise, as soon as he sees the ball, is say, hey, that's weird. This is my name. Somebody put handcuffs on me and lock me in a room to make sure I don't do this and we can figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think what the movie wants you to do is realize that he is under such pressure because they're supposed to be perfect, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that, um, he doesn't think anything's going to happen except he's going to get haloed and put away because the pressure is always to just file these people away and act like everything's perfect. And if, if there's a flaw, then the whole thing is a house of cards, but he's not willing to, to wait and find out. He's just going to run. Also, he is, we've seen from the very beginning, he's very good at his job and pattern recognition and putting things together. And he likes to solve a mystery. And this is like the biggest mystery that has ever been presented to him. It's got his face right on it. So I don't think he could possibly keep himself from trying to dive headlong into that. He is very clearly a a strong-headed cop who wants to do things his way. And that is exactly what he ends up doing. Do you think the ball reveals the legal name of the perpetrator? <laughs> because what if somebody changed their name to John Anderton and went out and mm. committed a murder with a Tom Cruise mask on? It's a good question. True. A, a Mission Impossible Tom Cruise mask. Yes. <laughs> they, there's plenty of those masks around. So he gets out and he drives his car, but eventually they figure out where, again, this is one of those moments where I thought, really, it took him that long to trace his car and and lock it down, where I thought, again, my expectation of privacy in the future is way lower than this movie is. It's so nice. Oh, they are going to do some real sloppy stuff later yeah. on. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, they are. Um, you mean the part where they haven't locked Tom Cruise's own retinas out of the yes. building? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, the second Repeatedly. time they haven't done yeah. it. Yes. Second time that happens. Yes. Okay. Uh, so he, he says, you know, I'm not going to get haloed. Everybody runs. He says uh, there, he there's a really fun thing because although they, these not they're not flying cars, but they're cars on tracks that go in weird directions and stuff like that. Um, and I think that the that it, it's kind of dumb, but it does lead to a really great thing where he gets out of the one car and jumps across to other cars that are going like up and down until he jumps over and gets in somebody's like patio of their high rise apartment. <laughs> it's it's classic Tom Cruise. He's going to do his own stunts. So I was very impressed that he. Went- went on location to that vertical building uh, <laughs> highway and uh-huh. jumped from car to car. Yeah. Good job, Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. I will say that, uh, that those CG cars look a bit more PlayStation game than I remember them looking yeah. in 2004. <laughs> the spiders are also a little CGI. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but so cute. This movie is three good movies at once, I think. Yeah. It's good Philip K. Dick. It's a great noir movie. And it's a really good action movie. Like, when they stop the plot so they can have action scenes, I like all but one of them. 
Okay. And me too, but we don't agree on which ones, but that's fine. Uh, there, there is. So I like the jumping around in the cars. Uh, there's that line about what well, we talked about the Mets, which I just find hilarious. Like, oh, people are still talking about the Mets in the future. That's great. Um, the, the Of all the specific things, we talked about the Mets. Okay. Uh, there are the customized, he goes through the mall. Or there's the customized ads. Being, malls are back. Being, nice. Yeah, malls are back. Good news. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're beaming customized ads at him. They recognize him and they, they say, you know, come buy this product to John over here. He gets on the Metro, but it gets identified on the Metro uh, via an eye scan, so they're going to be waiting for him. And this part feels very facial recognition. It does. <laughs> it does. Like I, I was starting to think, like you're on the run, you can't go on the metro, man. They're gonna, they're yeah. gonna get, they're gonna get you, and they do. Uh, but he runs off, and then, uh, and then we get our uh, our jetpack fight, where police in jetpacks uh, fly around, and I. You know, it's not. It's a. It is a competently done action scene. I think having the police in jetpacks is kind of ludicrous, but it is. You end up with this sort of like chase on a fire escape, and they have these little sticks, the six sticks that make you throw up when they Ugh, poke you with gross. them, and the guy throws mm-hmm. up. Um, and and there's that, and then and then it leads to a scene in a a car factory that's entirely robotic, where they're kind of <laughs> going up and down, and he's in a car as it's being assembled, and and that ends with him driving away in the car that was just assembled. <laughs> and and although I roll my eyes at the jetpacks a little bit, I will say the car factory part of this I thought was spectacularly good. And uh, yeah, so anyway, the, uh, that that's the big. Uh, action set piece here and yes it's it's very well done what happens to the cars normally when they get finished building they go off and drive themselves i think the factory so you're saying that there is self-driving capability on these cars too but not tracking they seem like they were on a track though right so i don't know if they're self-driving but they're like going on a track well no i mean once it drives away yeah at the end what normally happens to the car once the factory spits it, it, it out. It gets like driven over to a dealership. Yeah, there maybe. are no cars in that big room where it comes out, so therefore they don't wait there. They must they must roll off to another location. So yeah, like showroom. when you when you get your router or something and it's fresh out the factory and it has a little sticker on it that says this is the admin password. It's that kind of deal, I think. Ah. You know, he gets in the car. There's a little sticker on the dashboard that says, you know, that your default password is this. So he just types it, it in and drives off. Okay. <laughs> Love it. Maybe they get automatically delivered to whoever special ordered them. That was my car. Tom stole it. (laughs) What I like about the jetpack chase is that it's very vertical. Instead of, Mm -hmm. you know, running, he's climbing. Hey, fun. And he's kicking kicking people. And he kind of knows what the rules are of of, uh, how the cops are going to react. And I agree. That's all good. I just think think the jetpacks are kind of dumb. But it does lead to a very interesting vertical chase on that... um, on the fire escape and then he goes in and the people are like they're they're like setting apartments on fire with their jetpacks which seems you know come and on busting guys. through people's floors and ceilings cooking burgers mm-hmm. one of them is neil mcdonough who is great mm-hmm. yes yep real creepy looking yep mm-hmm. of course i had forgotten he was in this so after the factory fight he drives to where the lady who invented pre-crime lives where he gets <laughs> she is she is a an aficionado of murderous plants that move CGI, mm-hmm. yes. murderous yeah, Have you gone Harry all Potter full style. Harry Potter? Yeah. It's yeah. basically, I was thinking Poison Ivy, but yeah. Sure. Yeah, so he gets poked by a vine, but the lady recognizes him and gives him some tea just before he dies. And he says, you invented pre-crime. And she laughs and she says, look, we were trying to heal the precogs. These were kids with birth defects. They had dreams about murder, uh, but they found them useful, essentially, as pre- they were dreams about murder from the future. 
Um, and she says they were, they're never wrong, but occasionally they disagree. The minority reports are destroyed because doubt must be stopped. Uh, and, uh, you, you've got to find the minority report. That's what you've got to do because they don't always agree. So if you're not going to kill this person, there will be a minority report. And that's the whole that's the whole secret of it. And also Agatha is really kind of the key because she's the sensitive one who really understands things. And the other two are are, are not. I thought this was a, a cartoony sort of sequence. I feel like there are two different cartoony bits and the one is the guy playing the organ to all of the haloed uh like right. in his in own movie, movie as monty said yep. yes i yep, love him exactly and i feel like and i feel like she, she is also in sort of her own movie because her delivery is so weird and wacky and it's not like it completely doesn't fit like they both they all fit together i can see this as a world but they are living their own particular style of of life mm-hmm. in it and it just it, it it brought me out of the movie just a little bit i had to like recalibrate i guess to to take her as seriously as i felt like i should because and i even by the end of it and i think this is on purpose even by the end of that scene like i couldn't tell is she actually somebody who is kind of a good guy and sort of regrets what she did or is she still really kind of proud of it and there's it leaves that open-ended, and I think that was okay. I think she wants to destroy the pre-crime because they perverted her work. And that's why she mm. tells Tom Cruise the fatal flaw in pre-crime, which is the minority report. And then if you find it, this whole house of cards is going to come down because she thinks that he could, he would be useful in, since he's the golden boy, if he mm. brings down pre-crime, it's over. And so that's, I think that's what she's doing. But it does have a very different vibe. If I was being very generous, I would call it kind of a, a Max Headroomy kind of vibe, this scene. If I was mm. not being generous, I would call it a Super Mario Brothers kind of vibe. But either way. <laughs> I, I was going with uh, Joel Schumacher Batman vibes. Yeah, but okay. Sure. I found her performance really ambivalent. And I was the same where I couldn't decide whose t- team she was on. But I, th- I think the fact that she tells no one is being such like Jason's right that she's trying to bring it down, but she doesn't seem particular. She seems a bit ambivalent about the fact that what they've yeah. done with these kids. Exactly. Yeah. For someone who is trying to heal them, she's like, yeah, no, they're sort of, like, she hasn't done much to save them, but perhaps she has no power to. That was my read. Yeah. There's a scene where Tom Cruise is towering over her. And I kept thinking how tall the box must be. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all she has are terrible plans. Anyway, she says uh, the precogs know where the minority reports are. Like they have them, even if they're not filed. The the precogs have them. So that's where you need to look. Is you need to. It's not not a problem. You got to go back to the center of where they're looking for you, and and get the precogs. Then you know. Then you'll know. Um, so to do that, he's got to do a thing that was dropped earlier, mentioned that that one of the ways you evade the retinal skin is by getting new eyes. So we get a whole sequence where there is the doctor who is previously arrested by Tom Cruise and sent to the pokey in Baltimore, where he <laughs> learned lots of new fun uh, medical techniques about things like swapping out some pe- somebody's eyes for new eyes. And we get the... Uh, Tom Cruise says, I want to keep my old eyes for souvenirs because my mother gave them to me, which is, I thought, a a very funny and weird thing. And they're going to replace his eyes with new eyes. Um, And they like they they 
put him on like ropes where he can get to the bathroom and then he can get to the refrigerator where there's a sandwich and some milk. Of course, he eats a rotten sandwich at one point. It's the grossest part of the movie. There's a good sandwich and a bad sandwich and good milk and bad milk yes. in there. And I don't understand what that symbolized. Let me just say, as somebody who's currently having problems with one of his eyes, this was absolutely not the sequence for me. I forgot <laughs> the, the whole thing. And, and I was like, oh no. I was just glad they didn't show cutting of anything yeah, yeah. we we see that the, like pry his eyes open but we don't see the rest of it but we do in the end what happens is they leave and tom and they're like don't yeah i've got a little timer here it's literally like an egg timer except it's set for hours <laughs> uh it's adorable that's this also this scene also seems a little max headroomy in the sense that it's the future but also mm-hmm. really disgusting and dirty and like old tech that looks like new tech and new tech that looks like old tech i, lo- I love that it's 2054 but we have a we have a hundred year old refrigerator uh great yeah. love it um, and an egg timer for for hours because why not? Are mini discs the most cyberpunk? They are mm-hmm. because they're very mid nineties, which is when like hackers and strange days and the net and Johnny Mnemonic all came I mean, out. And the Matrix. And the Matrix. Yes. Yep. And that the whole mm-hmm. disc reading machines, like the design of them, looks kind of like very mid late 90s apple industrial design experiments yes yes it's all the rejected 20th anniversary macintoshes that people are using in this movie (laughs) speaking of apple i wanted to say that this movie is ipod aesthetic yeah like this is the future where everything is white and smooth and like really white they bleached the film Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and i kind of prefer other futures but this is a good version of the ipod future and it's a nice contrast with here where they're in this flop house right where everything is gross and dirty and gritty and bad and so you get that sort of like there are two worlds right there's the haves and the have-nots and we're now here on the other side uh, because tom cruise has had to run to that side um he's told not to uh not to look or he'll go blind for 12 hours. Every movie that contains a rule, somebody will break that rule. Yep. yep. <laughs> now, don't feed this after midnight. Okay. So what mm-hmm. happens is the cops come and they're searching the building. So they put, they they have many little robot spiders. Adorable CG spiders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a little glossy CG, but I'll forgive it. And they're going to search the building and scan everybody and they've got the infrared so they know how many people are in the building and they're going to scan all the retinas and they're going to make sure that John Anderton is not in there. And it leads to an amazing scene. Yeah. That is that is Spielberg has got the camera on a crane. They've mm-hmm. built the they built this series of sets that are the apartment building where you are above it looking down into each apartment as the camera moves over and choreographed along the way. Every single person is doing something in the apartment and reacting to the spiders coming in and scanning them. And it's all this one shot. And that is not a, a there's CGI cause there's the spiders, but the, they built that set <laughs> with all the apartments so they could do the tracking shot overhead. And it's definitely one of those moments where Spielberg is like, do you forget what a great director I am? Yeah. <laughs> but it's great. A <laughs> dazzling scene. It's so good. I can't believe I'd forgotten about it. Yeah. It is. And it, and it shows you that this is the invasion of the little spider robots, that everybody's getting scanned and they're the different people in different places. And just the fact that everybody is not chill with it but like it's something that happens often enough yeah. mm-hmm. that they know what to do they pause and then they go right, right back. back to their argument or whatever it was yep yeah th- this is the world under pre-crime yeah. yeah 
you're going to be invaded a lot. It's the also it's the have-nots, right? So mm. these yeah. this yeah. is where they always look it's for class. criminals. So they're used they're used to this because they're not treated with respect or as if they have rights. They're just and there's no warrants or anything no. being presented. They just are. We're sending have in the spiders. Have, oh, let it in. Yeah. yeah, and if not, they get ele- electrocuted. They made an announcement, like you know, based on yep. rule number blah 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 blah. We just get to do this yep. because you're mm-hmm. poor. Yeah. So Tom Cruise, though he 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 dumps uh, his cooler into the bathtub because he's going to use an ice ice bath to hide because uh, he doesn't want to be scanned. I guess because he's not supposed to take his bandages off and they're going to scan his mm-hmm. retina. Although he, the whole idea of the eye transplant thing is that he he, he should get away with it. Um, so he he. He tries to hide, uh, but he there's a bubble and a spider uh, notices the bubble in the bath and comes. And in the end, they just scan his eye. And uh, Neil McDonough is about to open the door because they're like, oh, this was an infrared signature and then it disappeared. But then it, now it's come back and we haven't scanned it yet. So that's probably him. And the spider scans the new eye of Tom Cruise and, and goes, oh, it's not him. And they leave. <laughs> oh, well. So close. But they didn't even play on the, is he going to, because he, he breaks the rule. They don't even play on the, uh, is, is he going to go blind? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is he blind in one eye for the rest of the movie? He might be. Maybe. I don't know. He's got a Maybe. spare eye if that happens though. So it's just like the stuff that says, you know, please leave 24 to 48 hours for this to take effect. And yeah. it's going to yes. be fine after like three hours, but just. It was six you can hours. Take in. the dressing off as soon as you get home from the hospital. Don't worry about it. Yeah. The doctor is like. Uh, it's his warranty service, right? He's just like, look, I don't want to. I don't want you coming back for more eyes. So just wait twelve hours. It's fine. I really didn't understand. This is another semi-cartoony scene. I didn't really understand what the motivation of was the, uh, for that doctor because he actually he performs the service that he is hired to perform. He you know leaves good milk and and good sandwich. Although he also leaves the bad stuff, which I feel like maybe is is on purpose in in a bit of a dig but the idea you know he's he's saying all of these lines thank you for giving me the opportunity to go to jail and to learn so much about myself and like some of the things that he relates are things that do not sound fun at all um so i just i really expected him to do something more crappy to to tom cruise and not actually fulfill the purpose mm-hmm. correctly i was expecting him to maybe not give him an anesthetic and make him go through the whole thing and scream uh during all of it but he would still have his eyes at the end but if that was ever a part of it they took it out because that is not what happened i think he's just a quirky side character like uh Tim Blake Nelson or the guy in the arcade? Yeah. Whatever that place is. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. They're trying to make you have tension that is he really going to do this once Tom Cruise is helpless? Mm -hmm. Is he going to kill him? But the answer is no. I guess he was serious that he's like, thank you for intervening in my life and allowing me to become a black market surgeon. It's great. (laughs) You were setting fire to people. (laughs) He gives him a bonus face melter or whatever it was called. The face melter doesn't work at all. Can we agree on that? Well, yes. I mean, the prosthetics do not change his face at all. And people are like, who is that he's got some kind of mascot he doesn't really he's still clearly tom cruise you guys like look at him it's superman glasses you know it, yep. it's kind of just the who is this strange misshapen face person who's walking into pre-crime if he was a guy that i had worked with every day for a while i don't think that i would look at the new version of tom cruise and immediately recognize him 
I, I could just because I wouldn't be expecting it. I mean, maybe I would in a world where this is a thing that exists, but nobody else has mentioned it in the movie, and Tom Cruise didn't know what it did. So but he sees him from behind first, jumping over that. Uh, okay, gate. that's true, and yeah. it's clearly Tom Cruise. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, and and I also thought it was interesting because this is a world where we know facial recognition doesn't happen mm-hmm. by computers anyway. But it, so it's only to confuse people. Although the guy, the the dude who brushes the teeth of the precogs, he 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 has a moment before he's like, "Oh, hey, John!" Right? <laughs> Even he's like, yeah. "All right." So this is this is the break in where he uses his own eye. He first off he he drops his eyes and they roll along the corridor and Ugh, that's the part I hate. That. Almost fall through a grate. I like some of the comedy in this movie, chasing after the eyeballs rolling down towards the grate. Too much, too slapstick. Out. I, I thought Agreed. he was gonna Agreed. accidentally step on one of them just yeah. to like, sort of like a banana peel. This. So he loses yeah, one, great. but he keeps the other one, which is good because he he is even they have not turned off his his log in to the system he can just show his eye and they're like oh john go to the most high security thing that exists in D- washington dc is the pre the, the the temple here come right in you shouldn't even have access to the temple john no no and yet no nope. and maybe he only does because they just opened up access for all of them because of that ridiculous scene where everybody showed up because colin farrell said so i can accept the fact that he knows the he knows the back doors and he knows the secret things and all that but the fact that his eye the tom cruise's <laughs> eye opens the master cylinder is silly because he should be yeah. locked out Yes, it is silly this time. <laughs> it could be because we know this whole thing is a setup and they're trying to set him up to, you know, take the fall and, and uh, do whatever. So it could be that they've left the system, uh, like his Max von Sydow has left the system Sido. open. I see, I see. So in this next segment we get, Colin Farrell is looking at pre-crime and he sees Agatha in the pre-crime and realizes that, uh, that, that, zoom in and enhance on the murder of crow that is committed or is going to be committed by john anderton he sees that agatha is there and he's like oh he's gonna kidnap her which is funny because then later we get the sort of like or he will kidnap her and we can't stop him because she's there so how do we play this but anyway he comes in tom cruise does and he gets agatha and even though colin farrell has been uh uh tipped to this um he manages to escape and we end up with a, uh, a a chase scene, essentially. I should mention that I really like Samantha Morton as Agatha. Yeah. I, we mm-hmm. get to see her here, and she is a she is a fish out of water. I was going to say, kind of, kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of underwater imagery in this movie, huh? <laughs> yeah. And keep in mind, she was nominated for the Academy Award for Sweet and Lowdown, where she's she's mute, and I think that's why she got cast here is they felt like this was a real challenging part because she has to be kind of a not-quite-human person. Uh, and she does a great job. So Tom Cruise has to drag her around through a shopping mall <laughs> for a while. Yeah, this is the one action se- action-y sequence that I actually liked. Because, I mean, just I, love it. I am not a big fan of action sequences in general unless they have something like specific that appeals to me. So for most of the action sequences, I was just like, I think jetpacks are silly, so I didn't care about that. I, I don't care about watching Tom Cruise jump from car to car. Like, I was just, you know, it, it was well done. I appreciated that it existed. It wasn't for me. I just let it wash over me. But then we get to this one, and this is one that has something in it that specifically appeals to me. You've got, you know, the f- 
fish out of water thing and the fact that she is sort of plugged into the vibrations of the universe. Yeah. And like, they say that murder is the only thing that they can see, but clearly that's not, not really true. the case yeah. because she is able to live in the moment or live in just the future moment enough surrounding her to be able to hide them behind a giant thing of balloons, which just delighted mm-hmm. me to no end. Like all of those bits, grab the umbrella, all that stuff was great. Oh, so good. It feels to me like playing a game like Monkey Island where you've played it a million times before. Mm -hmm. So you know, Mm -hmm. oh, I have to grab this balloon and hide behind it for one, two, three. Right. Then I have to go over here. Yeah. Yeah. It's Mm. it's, it's so clever. So I I think Eric is right. I think the truth is much more complicated about the precogs. And they can see Mm -hmm. when they're out in the world, they can see the future in all sorts of ways. But they've been turned into... Uh, this where they're placed in a pristine environment where only the greatest vibrations get to them, which are the murders. But it's not true. They actually, when you're out and about at the mall, and the moment that is really wonderful is she grabs a woman who's passing by and says, "He knows. Don't go home." <gasps> yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, like she, she, and the the umbrella thing it pays off, and they wait here. We're waiting here, and it's like they're surrounding us. She's like, wait, and the balloon man comes, and they can't see him down on the floor of the mall because the balloons are in the way. It's just you know, drop some money, and the idea there is that the the homeless guy goes to get the money, and and then everybody barrels into the room and trips over him, and she's setting all this up like it's such a great action sequence because it's action sequence with a character who knows the future, and it sets her up as being the person like that she's not being kidnapped she is being kidnapped but she is going with him willingly and helping him yes and so that sort of uh they become a team at that point and she becomes like you you know she wants to be out there she she's helping him figure this out so uh yeah that gives her some agency yeah Mm -hmm. just the movie showing us that oh that person you saw in the bathtub she's a person yeah oh she Mm -hmm. says she says when he's driving her which is after i I didn't mention that they, they they escape by um tom cruise flushes them (laughs) <laughs> they, they flush they go down uh, and sure, out of that, the... that's how you would set this up sure uh, but when he's driving her she's, she's looking out the window and she says is it now I'm tired of the future God. which I thought really yes. is like she is a person and she is plagued by this power but she's she's sick of it really and from the other side I love that Tom Cruise, the very pig-headed cop, he trusts her. He trusts her immediately. And, you know, they very easily could have had some kind of obnoxious scenes where he doesn't trust her a couple of times and that screws him over. But no, he is just like right on it because he's been like working with her in a way for, for long enough. So I appreciated that. Yeah. And they had that connection where she grabs him. And I feel yeah. like they make mm-hmm. a connection there and he realizes, oh, something is something is going on. And she singled him out and he, he she's got her first chance to talk to him. And and I think she knows about her mother's murder. Right. And so mm-hmm. there's the, she's got some some agency here, I think, in making a connection with him. I mean, she may have set this whole whole thing up like Could this be. is all on agatha could be it was agatha all along reference acknowledged <laughs> uh or I, I skipped over uh one of the other memorable scenes which is they br- they briefly have that um moment where they have to get the guy who's running the the virtual reality f- fantasy part yes. parlor where he lists all the th- <laughs> different kind of requests that people have although the one that we see for the most amount of time is a man who is being praised by his co-workers for how great he is <laughs> which... that's the screenwriter oh i love that so much uh, that <laughs> <laughs> made me laugh. Um, and, and, you know, the idea is I need you to hack into her and 
and he says, take her to Radio Shack. And I was like, oh, Radio Shack's not going to exist in 2050. Sorry. <laughs> yep. They had a, they had cops on the TV earlier. And I was like, that'll be around in 2054. That's a good call. Yep. 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 So the, the, but the mall stuff is amazing. Um, uh, they, then they go to a building and the guy who checks them in is Tom Cruise's cousin, who you may know as <laughs> Ethan from Lost. I think that's William Mapather. Ah, I thought he looked familiar. That's Tom Cruise's cousin. He's in lots Tom of stuff. Tom Cruise's actual name, Tom Mapather. Yep, exactly. Um, this is his cousin who was who was on Lost uh, and has been in all sorts of Tom Cruise movies, by the way, and other movies, but also lots of Tom Cruise movies. And they find out that Crow, the murder victim, is in this building, at which point Agatha says, you have a choice. You can walk away. Do it now. And he says, I can't. And then we see the lady who's smoking a pipe who was in the pre- pre-crime so it's like oh no it's all happening it's going to be five minutes away and they go into the 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 room of of this guy crow who they don't know and scattered on the bed are pictures of children including a picture of tom cruise's son who was murdered who was taken and murdered and uh this is the moment where he realizes this is the twist is tom cruise is like i'm not being set up which he is but I, I'm I am going to kill this guy because he killed my son. This is this is how all of this came to be there. Is, and there is no minority report. I am going to kill this man. And she says, no, you still have a choice because the other people never got the opportunity, which I think is part of the interesting sort of idea of predestination in this movie. The others never saw their future. All that was left was the inevitable. You can choose not to kill him because, you know, you've been told what your future is and that gives you an opportunity to make a choice. And so he reads him, reads him his rights and, and then, and then, uh, and then we get a reveal. I thought this was the end of the movie. I was like, okay, he got his catharsis. He made his moral choice. Like, I don't know, Michael Douglas and black rain where he's arresting the guy instead of killing him. And then the guy says, no, you're supposed to kill me. There's like a half hour left. This is all a scam. So I wrote I wrote it down because I think structurally this is the end of an aspect of the movie right here. Yes. Like the moment where Tom Cruise decides he's not he's not going to kill him. It also means Tom Cruise is rejecting the pre-crime vision. Right. So he's rejecting that completely. He has a moment where he believes it. And then she says, no, you don't have to do this. And he doesn't. And it's a great moment. And I think that kind of emotionally, that's the end of the movie. The, the The next part of the movie, what's left is the conspiracies and why was he set up and all of that part of the movie. But I agree. Yeah. There's a different version of this movie that this is the big ending is Tom Cruise deciding not to kill the guy and instead arrest him. But then it's revealed that it's a setup. He said, you'd kill me and my family would get money if I acted like I killed your kid. He's not actually even the killer. He he grabs the gun, Leo Crow does, and shoots himself and falls out the window so that he can he can uh, get his money. Um, and then you get what I think is my favorite twist in the movie, which is Colin Farrell, the bad guy who's investing all, all of this, <laughs> is talking to Max von Sydow and says, you know, I, I was investing uh, investigating this guy, but like, and they're at Tom Cruise's apartment. And he's like, but this was all arranged. This is a setup. Somebody else is behind this. And Max von Sydow says, did you notice that when he took the the precog, that means that nobody's, uh, the precogs aren't working right now. And, mm-hmm. and, he, and he shoots 
Colin Farrell and kills him. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting because it it shows you that Colin Farrell he's a he's actually a good cop he's, because uh-huh. he managed to figure this out. But he's not a great cop because he doesn't realize that the guy in front of him is the one who's in charge. Yeah. But I love Colin Farrell's line. I'm thinking someone got away with murder. Yeah. Like that's the most noir that yeah. we get is Colin yeah. Farrell on the trail. Well, and I think it switched at this point from like sort of classic murder mystery to thriller. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's that shift of tone and everything. And also we also know the whole picture, even if we don't know the pick the whole picture, we sort of know all the players now. Up to this point it's mm-hmm. the fugitive also a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Where he's on the mm-hmm. run. I'm I didn't not ever in the future kill my wife or whatever, right? It's it's precog <laughs> fugitive. But uh, at this point, yeah, it is a uh, conspiracy kind of thing. But it is a it is a good twist. It does explain like why was he singled out, and the answer is this was all a setup that it's being engineered by Max von Sydow to create this what scenario, <laughs> and then he kills. Uh, Colin Farrell, and it's a great moment because they you realize people in D.C. live in a world where if anybody tries to kill you, probably the cops are going to swoop in at that moment and mm-hmm, save you. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as Max von Sydow points out, no, when he took Agatha, the whole system is down and I'm going to kill you now. <laughs> and the great. bad guy is Max von Sydow. I, I, huh? I, it's, it's, it's shocking, isn't it? Weird. Shocking. <laughs> That he would be. I, I actually wa- watched this movie and I was like, oh, look, he's not always the bad. Oh, no, he is the, he's the bad guy. Of course he's the bad guy. <laughs> Come on. What are you talking about? We we watched a string of movies recently in which like the, the top police guy actually ends up being the bad guy. And Stephen was like, does this happen in every movie? Because we just watched <laughs> Turner and Hooch and L.A. Confidential. Sorry, spoilers for those old <laughs> yeah. movies. Yes. But it was just like, oh, every time. Yeah. I like also, if you're watching it on streaming, you know there's a half an hour left. But I think if you're in the movie theater, you feel like you're at the end of the movie. And then the movie's Mm -hmm. like, nope, (laughs) not the end. (laughs) Going to keep going. That's why we need that extra 30 minutes. So I didn't know. I really, really was surprised by it, (laughs) even though I've seen the movie before. I I mean, it's also like he gets arrested and put in a tube and you think, well, that could be a good end to the movie. Here, so the murder of Anne Lively is at the center of this. And this is the moment where it's the it's the twisty turny. How do you commit a murder when you can't commit murders? Mm-hmm. And what is revealed is you suppress the minority report and you tell the techs that there are these things called echoes where the, they continue to see the murder after it's been committed. And the question is, what if it was a completely different murder? You could set up the kill, hire somebody to kill somebody, have pre-crime come and capture them and prevent the murder. And then you wear the same clothes and actually murder the person. And they'll never get you because they've already taken away the person who, quote unquote, would have committed the crime. And so this is the this is the perfect murder, so to speak. Which... What if you just kidnap them and take them out of the city limits and kill them? I know. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't say it. That's a lot more work. This was actually much more efficient. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Plus, if you're the head of pre-crime, you want to kind of do something with a bit of flair. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, probably he'd thought of how to kill somebody and wanted to try it out anyway. I mean, yeah, this might have been a test run for anything he may have needed to do in the future. But, mm-hmm. yes. But as uh, what we find out is they're at, because they're at, they've gone to... Um, John's ex-wife's house their child died their marriage dissolved um bring he he brings Agatha there 
we get all this extra information. She There's a beautiful scene, I think, when Agatha basically is telling sort of the story of their son's life and his future life that he would have had if he hadn't died. Which is another clue that, yeah, they're not just able to sense murders. Like, yeah. they are able oh, to sense sure. multiple versions of a future. It's a lot more complicated than they tell us in that first commercial. Was it clear that the body of the kid was found? No. It was not it never found. Is. It was not because found. Because I, I wondered if that was, like, he had gone on and had, like, a life. I, I wondered that until they, until they started bringing in the actual names of the parents. And, like, the, the ages that she mentions, at least one of those ages is the time in which he has already been missing. And they're talking about John actually being there and his mom witnessing, you know, their races and stuff like that. Yeah. So it, yeah. it has to be hmm. an alternate. Uh, yeah. This is the stories you missed. And then she transitions into how he actually died. And then she says, I'm sorry, John, but you're going to have to run again. And then she screams. Run! So cool. Yes. So good. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, because the, the crow, crow is trying to dangle the, I'll tell you what I did with your son. Because he's like, oh, is he still alive? And he's like, no, no, I put him in a barrel and all of that. And so they obviously don't know for sure. Um, and then And then she tells the story here of his future life. And then also, but that didn't happen because he died and then i'm sorry john but you have to run again uh but this uh, this running doesn't work they they arrest him and put the halo on him and she's put back in the milk um which leads to milk. Oh. <laughs> it's okay <laughs> wally's here well yeah he'll brush your teeth later uh no max on is talking to tom cruise's uh ex-wife laura uh, it's a great little touch where he was, she's like, I thought you were retiring. He says, well, I was retiring, but now I have an obligation to, yeah, you were not, this is all part of your, your scheme. Mm-hmm. Oh, but now I'm necessary. I have to protect what we've built. So I'm just going to keep on going on. And she confronts him and says, who is Anne Lively? And, and he punctures himself with his, with his like, uh, tie, tie pin because he's like, or, or his uh, cuff link. Cause he's, he's shocked that she knows Anne Lively and uh and she died and he's like oh we'll we'll look we'll figure out who drowned her later and she's like ah i never said she drowned Ooh. Ah, encyclopedia brown exactly yep. <laughs> i i did like just to point out in the previous scene where um tom cruise is put in his prison thing mm-hmm. uh, one of the prisoners next to him is a t vaziri oh um, ah. and i suspect we know who that is i think we well he knows what he did or would do yes. will do <laughs> <laughs> would have done the ex-wife take laura takes a gun uh to the guy who plays the organ and says i'm gonna see my husband here she got in she got how'd she get in she's got she's taken the gun and the eye out of the evidence bag oh, that's just laying on. at max von Sydow's <laughs> office he's under arrest you can turn his access off now surely because you know that he had eyeballs separately he's locked up so I guess it doesn't matter anymore. You know it wasn't the eyeballs <laughs> in his head that got him in. Yeah. You That's know it, yes. that. You have it in the evidence. Guys, come on. So there. Uh, then it's a little bit later and he, Max von Sydow is at a, at a banquet. He gets a gift of a revolver. Uh, he gets an emergency <laughs> call. It's Tom Cruise on the other end of the line. <gasps> what? And he says, oh, you created a world without murder. All you had to do was kill someone to do it. Uh, Agatha's mother wanted her back. 
Uh, but she was the key to the whole pre-crime thing. So you had to get rid of her. He, he does the very fun thing where he says, and you know, and, and if you didn't do that, you wouldn't be there signing autographs. And Max von Sato's like, Oh, 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 he's looking at me. He sees me. He's near me, which is a great, I love that. That's the, uh, I, I can see you. I know what you're doing right at this, at this moment. Um, and uh, then they send the the precog video of Anne Lively's murder to the screens where everybody can see that he actually came after the the precogs uh, the pre-crime people left and uh, and uh, and killed her. A red ball is generated. Yeah, I thought that that moment where all of the people around him are being like, John, John, are you sure you want to do this? John, you should think about this. And I'm like, why would anybody think for a moment that he would hesitate? He was almost killed. This guy is a murderer. Why not just publicize that? Come on, people. I I also like that he was given a a very helpful gun at at this ceremony. Just, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, he can't use it because pre-crime and all. Uh, So, yeah, the red ball is is Lamar and the victim is John Anderton. So, uh, hmm, that's going to happen. I'd just like to point out that his buddies back in the force are happy to help him. Yeah. So if he had just, as I said, immediately said, (laughs) hey, put some handcuffs on me and make sure I don't do anything. Let's figure this out. (laughs) He wouldn't have been Halo. They're on your side. But he panicked. (laughs) Yep. It wouldn't be a movie then. It wouldn't be as good a movie anyway. I know it wouldn't. Um, so they have the confrontation on the balcony, and it's a funny moment because it's like the precogs have obviously seen this. He takes his hood off at one point, and Tom Cruise is bald because they had to shave his head. Because anyway, Halo. Um, the uh, it's a great moment because he's like, okay, if you shoot me, it will prove <laughs> that pre-crime is right. Uh, but your life will be over because you will have shot me, or don't shoot me, but then you'll disprove it. Because you will have not fulfilled the future, which is like, mm-hmm. is he trying to confuse him there? He's like, but I don't know what to do now. Um, and and but he gives him the same thing uh, that uh, that Agatha gave to uh, to Tom Cruise, which is you know your own future now, which means you can change it if you want to, like I did. At which point he says, "Forgive me, John." The same thing that he was seen saying, but he shoots himself instead of Tom Cruise. And falls to the floor as all the well-heeled guests come out and say, no, when we gave you that gun, we didn't mean for you to kill yourself. <laughs> what? <laughs> and, uh, and in a voiceover, Tom Cruise explains, uh, we abandoned the pre-crime experiment. We released all the prisoners, though we watched some of them very carefully. <laughs> we see that he and his wife have gotten back together and they're going to have a baby. And in the final shot, the twins and Agatha have been transferred to a cabin on an island off the coast of Maine. And as the uh, helicopter shot continues to pull back from them on their on their uh, island away from everybody else, the uh, the credits begin to roll. And that is the end of uh, Minority Report. Great movie. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it for like. I don't know because I we I own the DVD. We used to watch it a lot, and I haven't watched it in a while. And so I, I just you never know going back after a while. I but I think it held up really well. I mean, it was quite different, as I said, to the movie that was in my head because half of that was a uh, was um, uh, iRobot. I did not. So that. Um, it was quite a surprise to me to to rewatch it. So yeah, yeah, I loved it. But I did enjoy it. I, I think, uh, like I said, I'm amused by. Again, I think it's a view of view of the future from the past what they got what they got right and what they got wrong it's not a it's not a game but it's more like what was 
what was troubling us and what did we think the the future was going to be um versus how it's turned out and 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 in some ways what strikes me about it is they got personalized advertising and stuff like that like they're going down paths that are really interesting but then there are other ways where in, in a future that has very invasive law enforcement technology and yet Post on, some, on some levels i think to myself not as invasive as it probably will be so yep. yeah. you know a little bit a little bit of both but the, yeah steven spielberg is a good director he knows how to direct action the philip k dick source material provides this really kind of um uh texture of question philosophical questions and although the yep. movie is not a a deep philosophical uh treatise about free will and things like that it is a theme in a thing that is also a explodey action movie like it's a great combination of all those things and i think the movie is richer because it's got that substrate of you know the weird stuff with the precogs and is this really justice and all of that running underneath uh the storyline previously when we talked about like ai you described it jason as you know three different movies uh in in three different parts and this also is kind of a variety of different types of movies but i think they are all layered upon and within and woven about each other so this this feels more like one piece of a movie that has a lot of stuff in it as opposed to ai which did feel like three sections that were all different and i love both of them so that's i'm not saying one way is better than the other but this is just a it's an interesting difference in the way that he approached uh, the different styles that he was working with in these two movies, which came out just a year apart. Less than a year, I think. This is a lot more well synthesized um, thematically, right? Yeah. It is all of these things are happening at once that you've got your, you know, crime thriller and you've got your questions of of overreach or justice and free will. And, you know, all of these things are happening simultaneously for most of the movie, which is... Uh, I, it's I like that. That's like I said, when I said it was the texture of it, it's like mm-hmm. e- even when it's just an action sequence, the context that it's in in this movie provides you with those other levels of its future technology. And is it that what are the police doing and are they overreaching and what does this say about their vision of the future? Like there's always other richness about it that I think in a, a movie that's successful like this, um, you get that kind of synthesis. It all works together. It came out almost exactly a year after AI. Yep. Bam. (laughs) Yeah, these are uh, successive Steven Spielberg movies, AI followed by Mm -hmm. Minority Report. And Minority Report really, really feels post 9-11 to me in its reaction to how much personal liberty and privacy are we willing to give up for safety? Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Even though it was in production so soon after that it probably is only somewhat influenced by it later in the, in the game, it definitely is on the minds of the people who are making it. I think yeah, uh, to a less degree, as we will see not to give anything away, but in next week's episode, which will be 2005's war of the worlds, a movie that is much more very clearly a post nine 11 movie, but there is yeah. some influence happening in, in minority report as well. Some of it probably on purpose and some of it probably just kind of fortunate, you know, a synchrony of what was really happening with what the themes were in the, in this project that had been sort of, been worked on on and off for like 10 or 15 years before it finally became uh, a real movie in 2002 a real boy it, the blue fairy visited it and nope sorry that's the wrong movie <laughs> <laughs> 
I find like the arguments that they use to persuade people into pre-crime feels so believable and that these I might not buy it but I feel like these are the things politicians would say to us to convince us that we can do this and all of that and I I just think there's enough meat in it to think about it without being too heavy-handed or like spelling it out so that you can Mm -hmm. still have fun with the movie while thinking about it this is not a courtroom drama about about pre-crime right like it's not that movie I I would watch the hell out of that movie, though. (laughs) One of my favorite things in this movie is how there's a tiny bit of paperwork. Like, oh, I have to call up a judge and DA and get them to authorize the warrant. But, of course, they authorize whatever I say. Yeah, it's routine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. I would say I would still watch a movie that had none of the action and was just a sort of detective mm-hmm. oh, sure. trying Same. to figure out the kind of the, the, the paradoxy, time travel-y kind of mm-hmm solution to the thing and i think that would have been an interesting movie too i think that the idea that they did a tv show based on this i i think is really interesting because yeah that would be an interesting procedural right like a a precog procedural and i'm sure that the the goal of the fox tv series was a little bit broader than that but like yes that would be interesting it would be interesting to talk about the legal system the first half hour of this movie yeah is an episode episode of that show yeah Yeah. i think i i didn't sound particularly positive about it earlier but i would give it a go i think it's worth watching Hmm. if you like this movie interesting any final thoughts about or or are they pre-thoughts about minority report before we go i think he had a very fancy watch for a cop I like the smartwatch because he had like yeah. this watch with the, the LCD display on it or OLED display or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's actually not far off what uh, you know, Samsung just released. It's one of those watches that is then sold for $3,000 in airplane catalogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But maybe not at that time. Maybe by then that's like the cheap version. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. It's actually yeah, yeah, just, yeah. you're just buying a software pack that puts the Bulgari logo on the screen oh, of the ooh. cheap watch that you're you're buying it's the bulgari app yeah mm-hmm. exactly yeah it's it, an app purchase. And it, it's it, it's a fake app that you've bought from this dodgy guy who will sell you eyes yes he's got he's got drugs and he has no eyes and he knows the guy who has eyes and also there's the fake the, the fake watch software it's all true mm-hmm. sounds right nailed it and jetpacks <laughs> <laughs> eh. all right uh well that wraps up this conversation about minority report it's a good movie it really is worth worth uh, revisiting. Um, really good movie. I liked it a lot. Um, and thanks to my panel for joining me and talking about it. It was a lot of fun. James Thompson, thank you for being here. Uh, I'll give you two minutes before I stop recording. Thank you. Annette Weirstra, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. And I chose not to murder anyone on this podcast. <laughs> All right. Monty Ashley, thank you. Careful, Chief. You dig up the past. All you get is dirty. (laughs) And Erica Ensign, thank you. I'm just going to be over here buying a balloon for exactly 27 seconds. So do what you got to (laughs) do. All right. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. That's awfully presumptuous of me, but I I foresee that in the future somebody will listen to it. Uh, Until (laughs) next week when we'll be back with another, I already gave away what it is, Summer of Spielberg. Uh, We will catch up to the future then. 